or some device will be looking at the scripture with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. been working our way through Luke now uh, for several months, and we'll be here um, for a time as we work our way chapter by chapter through this book. Um, as you're turning to Luke 12 or, or typing in Luke 12, have you ever um, asked yourself the question, as, as you are interacting with someone, how could they so drastically perceive me differently than I perceive myself, Right? Have you ever had someone that they, they think something of you that you don't think of yourself, and you're wondering how it could be that off? Um, when I, I remember in elementary school one year, I had a teacher, um, and I don't remember exactly what year it was. I think it was, I think it was fourth grade. Um, but I had, I had a reputation of just being a pretty quiet kid. Was pretty. I mean, I got made fun of, honestly, for, for more for being a teacher's pet than for being rebellious, right? just to give a sense of that. And the first day of school, new teacher that, that year, um, and something happened in my vicinity, and I, was, I don't remember being a part of it, like legitimately I don't think I was a part of it, but she somehow kind of decided that day she knew who I was. And it didn't matter the rest of that school year what I did or did not do. She, knew, she thought she knew who I was. And so she treated me differently than any teacher had ever treated me before. And although I tried really hard to convince her that was not the case, it had kind of been set in stone, right? And I, I get that that's a, it's a hard job, right, to, to try to, to figure those things out. But, right, we, we see this as well um, in parenting, right? Like that, how do your kids perceive you, right? Because you're both the one who does generous things for them, and you're the one who brings discipline, Right? And so you have a perception of, of how you look and are trying to present yourself to your children, but there's not always understanding of which do they see more of. Right? Do they think of me as the fun parent, the easy parent, the generous parent, or are they like, that's the ogre? Right? Like, that's the hard one. I don't want to be, like, that's the scary one. We, we've seen this um, it, right in, with police, right? That based on your experience and your perception, um, the police could be something that are someone that you look to, you trust, you respect, um, or they could be someone that you have a lot of fear and doubt about. And you could have a conversation where both sides would go, how could you think, right, and fill in the blank for the other one about them? This can happen in church, right? That if you've had good experiences in church, and then you hear someone trashing the church in general, and you're just going, hey, I don't understand how you could think that. And they might look at you and go, I don't know how you could think anything good happens there. Right, that we know that whether it's in teaching relationships, um, whether it's in, in politics or in school, or even just in our own households, that perception is not always right, what we want it to be. We're not always in control of how that is actually perceived. And that there are some things that are, can both sides be true. Right? That, that, that for, a, for a person, right, um, as a parent, that I can both be the disciplinarian and fun and generous. I'm not one or the other. I'm both. Right? And those things are, are intertwined and we have to hold them in some level of tension. That comes to this morning as we are going to look at a, an interesting passage in Luke of what's your perception of Jesus? Right? As you think of His nature, of His character, right? Um, is, he, is He loving? Is He... Um, kind of inclusive, all for one, maybe a little bit soft, right? 
Or do you attribute to him like the, maybe more Old Testament characteristics, right? That would be thrown out of vengeful and angry and these type of things. Sometimes people want to separate well, God the Father and Jesus in this regard and say those characteristics are unique to one or to the other, right? And, and yet, what will happen then when we read Scripture, right, we begin to read with confirmation bias. That when we see evidence that Jesus is, is kind and generous and good, and, right, and then we're like, okay, he's not anything harder than that. Or if you're on the other side and you're like, no, 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 like there's judgment and there's, there's, there's these things, and then you, you read and you find verses to back up your view. Well, what we're going to see this morning is that those things are going to be held in tension. That more than one kind of characteristic um, grouping is going to be true about Jesus. So let's pick up in Luke 12, beginning in verse 35. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all, for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming begins to beat the male and female servants, to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given of much of him will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Okay. Kind of an uncomfortable, unique passage here. Right? Some of you are going, ah, that, that fits with what I think of God. Others are going, ah, I don't know what to do with this passage. I, it makes me uncomfortable. Remember last week that as we, as we tie this in, that we were talking about possessions, right? That Jesus was warning the disciples of the deceitfulness of wealth and of possessions. And he's telling them, listen, your treasure needs to be put up in eternal things, not in things here on this world. And what he's reminding them is that there are going to be obstacles to mission, obstacles to, to living a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. And one of those is going to be the, you know, the fear of your own life being taken from you. And the second is going to be the deceitfulness of riches. And so it's on the tail of that, because if you look at verse 34, he tells them, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then he continues, so stay dressed. Right? He's saying, be vigilant. Remember, he is preparing them for his departure. 
And He is trying to, to get them ready and prepared for what it will be like when He is no longer physically, bodily present with them. And so we see in verse 35, He tells them, stay dressed for action. The phrase here is, gird up your loins. Right? It's like, right, be ready to do what needs to be done. This comes from the idea of Exodus 12, um, when Israel um, ate the Passover meal, right, with staff at hand, ready, ready to run and to go. They were dressed for action. So this is the idea of rolling up your sleeves, right, of showing up for a job dressed appropriately to do the work that needs to be done, right? Um, maybe it's, it's, it's the woman taking off her earrings and rolling up the sleeves like, about to get real, right? Like, that it's, he's saying, are you ready? Are you prepared for action? And he, he continues with, and keep your lamps burning. Right? So if you're dressed for action and your lamp's burning, then you're ready to see at night. You're ready to see in the darkness and you're ready to act and to move forward. He's telling the disciples, be prepared. A constant state of readiness. And he then illustrates this through a quick story. So he says in verse 36, so I want you to be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. What would often happen is a wedding did not take um, hours. It took days. Right? There would be a party and a feast that could go on for days up to a week. And so you can imagine now the master of the house has gone off and he is celebrating somewhere else for a wedding. And the servants are back at the house waiting for his return, unsure of exactly when that will take place. And he's going to show back up. And he says, okay, so are you going to be the servants who are there waiting, prepared to meet your master, to receive him, to care for him, where he will say, well done? Or are things going to be running amok? Right? And so he tells them, so be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes home. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline. In verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or the third, this is the middle of the night. He said at an inopportune time and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And then for emphasis, he kind of does the negative. He says, so what man would leave his house if he knew when the robber was coming? Right, if the thief is like, hey, at 2.30 tonight, I'll be there. I'm going to break in and take all your stuff. God's like, right? He's like, if you are girding your loins, if your lamp is on, right? If you're prepared, the thief decides, don't want to rob that place. Who would leave their house? Who would go away if they knew the moment when the thing would happen? And so he's telling them, you don't know when I'm returning. I'm calling you to a constant state of readiness, of being prepared with loins girded and candle burning. So be ready. Be ready. You don't know when. And so as this teaching is taking place, in verse 41, Peter goes, hey Jesus, is this for us? Is this for them? Like, is this for the crowds? Like, who is this for? And in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't give a direct answer here. He doesn't say, well, obviously, Peter, it's for. He doesn't take any of us off the hook. He just continues with the teaching so that those who are in earshot who are hearing this, as those who are reading and receiving this from Luke are saying, ah, it's for me. It's for me. He continues. 
Verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? And so now he begins to bring in kind of the lead steward, the lead servant. He says, often when the master leaves, he, he tells one of them, you're in charge, right? Oldest kid, right? Whoever, you're in charge. Here's the money to buy the food. Here are the things you're going to do. Here are the things you're not going to do. Make sure you take care of people. You're in charge until I get back, but it's temporary. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so he tells them, listen, the one who does that and does what is asked of him, blessed, in verse 43, is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. He has done what was asked of him. There's a poor servant, an evil servant. He continues, verse 45, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and get drunk. Right? This is the one who goes, is anybody watching? Right? We, sometimes you look, maybe this is you as a kid, or you look at your own kids or your grandkids, or if you're a teacher, you have kids in your classroom who are happy to obey as long as you're watching. Right? They are happy to follow the rules. And as soon as you step out of the room, they're the first one to act a fool. Right? And then they're waiting to say, like, oh, is she coming? Right? And they hear footsteps and they're, they, put it, they pull it together, right? Mom, I don't know how that happened. I've been sitting here doing exactly what you asked, right? And then you step out and they're like, they're, like they're, they're trying to play this yo-yo game with you where they want, they're revealing their character, right? And their nature because they will obey when there are consequences and someone is there to enforce them. And the moment there's freedom, they're going to act a fool. So Jesus is saying, there are some stewards, right? There are some who hear what I'm t- saying, and they will act the part and they will look the part until they are given freedom and flexibility to not. And then things are going to go haywire. And they're not going to pass out the food. They're not going to dole out responsibility. They're not going to care for the others left in their charge. They're going to take advantage. They're going to beat and they're going to eat and they're going to take more and they're going to get drunk. And, it, and so... Right? This is the idea of living arrogantly, as though we will always have more time. Right? This is any high school movie ever, right? where the kids feel like they can throw the party because they know when mom and dad are coming back, and then they'll get it all cleaned up and they'll never know, be none the wiser. Right? It's, this is the idea here on a spiritual level, that Jesus is saying some of you are going to live arrogantly and believe that it will be granted to you an opportunity to know your death is coming, and on your deathbed at some point, you can confess belief. And so you can have lived your life the way you wanted, and then received me in the end. He said, how arrogant is that? That you don't know when I'm returning. You don't know when death is coming for you. You don't know what you're going to face, or when you're going to face it, and this is revealing your character. Like, don't harden your heart. Don't show this lack of affection for me. And so he then talks about severe punishment. right? That if the master was to come home and find the steward doing these things, what would a master have done during this time? Would have beaten them severely. right? He says he, he would cut him in pieces. He would beat them. He would, like, 
He would bring discipline and punishment that feels harsh and maybe over, overhanded here. But I want you to listen. This is Isaiah 13. This idea of waiting with expectancy on God is not a new idea. Isaiah 13, verse 6. It says, Well, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Right? Like they were being told, The day of the Lord is coming, and you shouldn't maybe be as excited about it as you think. This is Obadiah 15, a book you turn to often. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you, and your deeds shall return on your own head. In almost every prophetic book of the Old Testament, there is this idea that the day of the Lord, this big day of judgment is coming. And, and often Israel would think, yay, He's coming to make things right. We get rewarded. Everyone else gets right destroyed. And he's saying, you're longing for that day, and you're going to be part of that day, and it's going to be hard. right? You're going to need rescue. You're going to need help on that day. We'll see right, that it's the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's uncomfortable. Like how, how do we stand in light of it? And so even in this, right, we see Jesus saying there's, there's some levels of punishment here. And, and what He's working into this parable is he's a, it's a warning to the religious leaders. It's a warning um, to the apostles, to Peter here who's asking the question. Hey, the one who knew what to do and was given authority and then doesn't do it, it is going to go poorly for you. Right, because he continues. He says, um, so the one who did these things will come on that day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know him and he will cut him in pieces and put him in with the unfaithful. Right, dramatic, gross, right? Verse 47, the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to it, he'll receive a severe beating. Still not great, but you're not cut in pieces. The one who didn't know and did, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. He's basically saying, Listen, if you take advantage of the responsibility and the role that's been given to you to have the gospel and to give it out, and you take advantage of those under you, it will not go well for you. Right? There, is, there is punishment that will be like doled out. So there's, this is the point where you're kind of looking at this passage going, yikes, what is happening? Like This is not, does not seem like maybe the character that you would think of, of Jesus. Like, why is He talking like this? Why this warning? First and foremost, this. Church, there will be judgment. Judgment day, the great and terrible of the day of the Lord, is coming. It is. And so Jesus, John the Baptist, the other, the other prophets, the apostles, what we are, even the, the task before us today in 2022, in Pampa, Texas, is that we are preaching repentance before judgment. Right? We're saying judgment is coming. There is still time to repent and to, make things, to have things made right with the Lord. Repent. Judgment is coming. Repent. Turn from the way you're going and know the Lord. Because the stakes are high. Everyone has sinned. And we say that, and we can say it almost uh, flippantly, right? Yeah, we've sinned. 
and we have lost sight of the fact that God is absolutely holy. He is not a better version of us. He is different. He is holy. He is glorious. He is everything, right? And we have been rebels and traitors and enemies to Him, opposed to Him, gone against Him. And why the day of the Lord is great and terrible is because He's stepping on the scene and it's not a fair fight. Right? We don't have anything in which we can stand. He's already told us earlier in this chapter, what, have, what do you do that's not known by the Lord? Nothing is hidden. Every intention, every desire, every motivation, every action, seen or not, public or not, private or not, is seen by the Lord. And you have sinned against the Holy One. Like we are in need. There will be judgment. We have put up ourselves as little gods. We have said other things give us more pleasure, more satisfaction, more joy than He does. We have, been, we have created idols in our hearts. Listen, we are the servants who are deserving of the beating. And as repulsive as that sounds and as it looks, it is meant to get your attention that the Master is returning. And apart from Jesus, we deserve whatever punishment He mets out. That is the truth that Jesus is wanting us to, to get, to see that we are in desperate need of grace. And so this morning, here's what we know. With certainty, Jesus is coming back. It is happening. Here's what we do not know with certainty. When? Right? It is, he is certainly occurring. We do not know certainly when. Listen to the way Peter, who asked the question here, he will write this in first or sorry in Second Peter chapter three, beginning in verse three. Know this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all shall reach repentance, that all should re reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." we see that Peter is grasping what Jesus is teaching here. And he's saying, listen, some of them are going to come and say, that ah, hasn't happened and it's been a long time. And he's like, it's been two days. It's been two days. And he is patient because he doesn't want you to perish. The judgment is coming and everything will be exposed. And so Jesus is saying these hard things to Peter and the crowd and through Luke to us. Do not be deceived. Judgment is coming. The second thing this morning is this. He's a good father. He gives good gifts, right? 
His character has been revealed. He said already, pray, come to me. right? And as a good father, I'm not giving you a snake or a scorpion. I'm giving you what you need. I see you, and I know you, and I care for you. And you can come with your request, and you can ask boldly and often, because I'm a good and generous father who knows what you need. And his character has been revealed. And so Jesus, right now in this scene, has, has stepped into our place and is living the life that we were meant to live and haven't. And He is headed to the cross where, get this, He is going to receive the beating that He is teaching about right here in your place. The beating happens. It is not forgiven and forgotten. It occurs, but it's Jesus who receives the beating. It's His life who is, is broken and is taken. It's His blood that's spilt. And then He goes to the tomb, dead. And when He walks out of it three days later, right, revealing to us that He is God, that He has beaten sin and Satan and death, and what He is telling and reminding them is, and now I'm going to come back. Everything I've told you is true. Everything I've promised is true. And there will be a day where this will be no more. Where the sky will be split and He will step into human history and everything will be exposed and everything will be made right. And there will be judgment. Listen, this is Isaiah 64. Verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. Right? We already see that He has stepped in to take the beating. Look back now at, at verse 37. He said, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly, I say to you, look at this reversal. He'll dress Himself for service. He doesn't come in to be served. It says He will dress Himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at the table and He will come and serve them. Jesus has done this at the cross, taking the beating that we deserve. Right? And so Isaiah 64 is saying, do you know that those who wait on the Lord are going to get far more than they know? Like those who wait in readiness? Because what Jesus is talking about here actually isn't even the cross. He is saying, when I return, when the lion roars, when I step in, when it is clear that every knee will bow willingly or out of fear, when He doesn't come as humble baby, but as conquering King, He's saying, when I see my people who have waited with expectation upon Me, I'm going to put on My serving clothes. I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to care for you. Like, this feels wrong and backwards and like, wait, what? Like, Jesus, no. Which puts us in good company with Peter. Who in John 13, when Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet, I'm going to serve you, he's like, no, you're not washing me. He's like, well, if you don't let me serve you, then you don't get it. Like, you don't get it. You don't get what I'm offering. Church, Jesus has served us. And has made a reversal that we could not have done on our own. He has rescued us. And because of that, listen now to this passage that Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 2. 
This is verse 6 and 7. He's raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There is reward being poured out for those who have waited with girded loins and lit lamps in the returning King. There's reward. And although it feels like we're like, I think I deserve the beating, you do. And Jesus took it and is pouring out benefit and reward upon us. And so, this is what it means. We have to hold two things in tension this morning. There is judgment and there is reward. And both of these are found in Jesus. He is the one who is going to dole them out. Both are true. Right? Here's how Paul writes this in, in Romans 11. Verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Listen, both are true. There is kindness and there is severity. There is a judgment and He is a good Father. And it depends, right, on whether we have received the offering of salvation that He has given. That we have become His servants and then have walked in trust and dependence after Him. John 5 will tell us, right, that, that we don't have to fear judgment for those who are in Christ. That we hold these two truths in tension, kindness and severity. So the final thing is this this morning. How we live then reveals what we believe. Right? Because the one servant who does what he's asked of him, he's trusting, my master's coming back. I know what he expects. I'm showing him the uh, trust. I'm showing him respect. I'm showing him affection because he's returning. And I love my master. The other says, I'm getting what I can when I can. And I'm going to play a game. And I think I can win it at the end. And he's going to find a beating. How we live reveals what we're trusting in and what we're depending on in light of the reality and the return of Jesus. That's why he says, keep your lamp lit, because we're in a dark world where there's deceitfulness. And we're going to need the lamp, right? We're going to need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to give us, right, a path to follow. It's no mistake that Jesus is teaching this on the tales of the obstacles he presented in the last couple of weeks. The church, you're going to fear for your life to be taken from you. But don't fear those who can only touch the body. And he's going to say, and don't hoard, don't hold on to possessions and riches and things like that that will distract you from mission, that will deceive you into thinking that your life is only in the abundance of things that you have. It's like, no, 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 give generously. Your attention can be diverted willingly, thinking that you have, arrogantly, you have a moment coming for you where you can receive Jesus at the end. It's a dangerous game. Or you maybe have been deceived by riches and when the Lord opens your eyes to see rightly that you would respond and repent to the one who was beat and killed and crucified for you so that you aren't. So to, what's it mean then to live 
right? With readiness. It does not mean that you go live on a mountaintop and look to the sky. Right? We've seen people and groups who have done this. That is not what this is calling us to. It's calling us to a heart that has affection to Jesus, towards Jesus and to live open-handedly with our lives, with our possessions, with our boldness, with all of these things saying, what, Jesus, are you asking of me? I am your servant. I will gladly do it. I will gladly pour it out. I will gladly do it. Are, are your possessions and is your very life being used in service to the Master? That is what it looks like to gird your loins. Right? That as you are changing diapers or cooking supper, as you're going to work, as you are disciplining your kid, as you are interacting with a neighbor, right? as you're spending your money, that you're saying, Jesus is coming back. And I'm living in light of that now. That He will say of us, well done, good and faithful servants. You honored me as a mom. You honored me as a, an employer. You honored me as a student. You trusted and depended on me and amidst all circumstances. I think because you knew I was returning. Whether you could see it or feel it or know it, you lived in light of this and your affection for me was revealed and shown. Luke 12 tells us to fear God. It tells us to be bold and not fearful when given opportunity to witness. It calls us to generosity, to care for, one and care for others as the steward cared for those under his charge, and to obey. To obey. This is what it looks like to live with girded loins and lamp in hand. I want to read one final passage to us. That this morning as we consider, we haven't done this, but Jesus has made a way. Right? That we can repent and respond and turn to Him this morning and get what we have not lived because He's lived it. Right? He has done it on our behalf. Would you be encouraged now by this? This is actually from the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. There is one who can keep us from stumbling. King Jesus, who is going to bring judgment and is a good, gracious God that we can trust in. Would we respond and repent? Would we walk in trust knowing that we, have, we will not receive the beating that is laid out here because we are trusting Jesus? And if your heart is hard to that this morning, that He would begin to soften it, that you would respond and repent. Let's pray. Father, we Lord, we thank You for difficult passages. Passages that make us uncomfortable. Passages that challenge our perception of You. Lord, would we be willing to, to hold seemingly contradictory, opposite things um, in tension? Because it reveals the bigness and the glory and the character of who You are. So Lord, we want to say collectively this morning, thank You that You have rescued us. And thank You that You are continuing to be patient so that others would come to know You. 
God, would we live um, with a, that certainty, um, God, that we can be bold, that we can live generously, because You are a rewarder of those who follow and trust You. Lord, that You gladly give Your kingdom out. So, Father, areas where we're holding on to, where we are not open-handed, but we are quite closed-handed, would You reveal them to us this morning? God, would we sing with praise to our King and to our Master who has done what we could not do and has made us right with the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.